0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.
1: Science Notes, a programme on Otago Access Radio brought to you by the Science News and Promotion Group at the University of Otago. Join me, Dave McMorran, as I chat with graduate science students. We'll find out about their research, why they do science at all, and what music they enjoy. Science Notes, Thursdays from 6.30 till 7pm only on Otago Access Radio.
2: Well, good evening and welcome to Science Notes again for another week. My name's Dave McMorrin and this time our guest is Lydia Turley. Hi. Lydia. Hi. Thanks for coming along. Uh, Lydia is doing a PhD in botany at Otago University um, But we should not be fooled by thinking That because she's doing botany that she's studying plants Because it turns out she's not Strictly doing plants um, But we will get into what she has been studying um, After a bit of music That she's brought along And so the first track you've is uh,
3: Getting Stronger by Aradna Okay, here we go <music>
0: Tell me.
2: Listen to Science Notes on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM, where this week we are talking to Lydia Turley about her PhD work in botany at Otago University. But before we get into the nuts and bolts of, of, of your not a plant that you're studying, <laughs> um, how is it that you ended up doing a PhD? Um,
3: I Honestly, I've just always been really interested in uh, plants and maths and i just kind of wanted to keep studying them studying them studying them i have admittedly ended up in not plants i'm uh, (laughs) looking at fungi and but that's kind of because of the uh, the relationships that fungi have with uh, plants are really interesting and so if we want to understand how plants grow we need to understand the fungi as well
2: right so Um, and you said that you've been interested in in plants and in maths a big part (laughs) of what you're doing is actually maths isn't it so it's um you, you, people might think botany—you're going out and growing plants and glasshouses and stuff—but but your particular thing you're doing is actually very stats-heavy as well, isn't it? Yes. So is that something that you were doing as an undergrad? You kind of did botany and the stats all the way through, or?
3: Yeah, I I did maths and I didn't do very much stats, which um, right. I know a lot of botanists don't think there's much difference, but there is, <laughs> and I really wish I'd learnt more stats. I know it's really physicists
2: too really really do think there's a difference. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah, no. The statistics would have been useful, but um, it's it's something that I can pick up. Cool. From,
2: so you're doing fungi then? Yeah. So mushrooms? Yeah. To to the layperson, um, what tell us for people who don't really know, what is a fungi, and how is it, and, and is it like just like mushrooms that we see in the supermarket, or is there more to it than that?
3: Um, So mushrooms are the part of the fungus that we typically see, but that's essentially just like the fruit of the fungus. And uh, attached to the uh, mushroom is this big area of mycelium. So this is basically little tiny threads of fungus. And it can grow through soil, it can grow through wood, it can grow through all sorts of things. And the mushrooms that we see are just what pops up when it's ready to reproduce, but really there's this huge amount of fungus that exists hidden away at the microscopic level that we can't see with the naked eye.
2: So Um, it's kind of like, I was thinking this this morning, it's kind of like an apple tree, only everything except the apples is underground. Yeah. Right. And they can be quite big too, can't they, this underground part?
3: Yeah, they can be huge. There's um, one famous one that um, uh, malaria is thought to be several hundreds of kilometres wide.
2: Right. And it's just a single plant, quote-unquote.
3: The idea of a single <laughs> organism is very, very messy, but yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. So fungi then, uh, and, and, and again, I was doing some, some homework this morning, yeast is a type of fungus.
3: Yeah, yeah. That's a type of fungus that's got a very different um, growth form to things like mushrooms. You right. see your mushroom pop up when the f- yeast's completely different, exists in little blobs, little cells, and, and it, it's, it's just a very diverse group of organisms.
2: And as the thing I was watching this morning pointed out, yeast is a very important thing to us, um, because you use it, you make beer. Um, but the fungi that you're interested in are also very important ecologically, aren't they?
3: Yeah, so the particular fungi that I'm interested in are mycorrhizal fungi, and these ones are associated with tree roots. So um particularly in our native beach in New Zealand, all of these trees have um, a tree plant above ground and there are also roots below ground. And among the growing with the root are fungi that help the roots to uptake water and uh, nutrients from the soil. And they live in this mutualistic relationship where they get um, uh, energy and um, carbohydrates from the tree. And it's really important for the growth of the plant. A lot of these plants live in poor soils and they need the fungi, they need this mutualism in order to survive and grow.
2: One of the key differences, I suppose, between plants as we understand plants and fungi is that plants photosynthesize. Yeah. And fungi don't. So in order to get the, the sugars and stuff that they need to live, they have to do like, like what we do, and they have to get them from the plants.
3: Yeah, so they get them from the plants. Uh, there are other things that get them from feeding on decaying organisms. So or things. There's great variety, but um, yeah, they're, they're not able to produce their own thing. They're always reliant on some, some food source.
2: And so these then are really important to the to the native trees. So, so does it follow then that New Zealand has its own collection of native fungi that have developed specifically to interact with these trees in this way?
3: Yeah, so we've got really, really interesting fungi. Um, and if you go out into the beech forest in autumn, you'll see all sorts of different things on the ground. And it's very, very diverse and there's all sorts of special stuff here.
2: So then your research is interested in trying to understand what things control how many how well the fungi grow how far they grow how well they grow whether there's there's threats to them and if there is threats what we can do about that is that right you're trying to model how well they grow i'm not saying that very well but
3: (laughs) yeah yeah but not from the point of view of a single organism but from the point of view of a population right yeah
2: so how then i suppose key to all of this is understanding how they reproduce so and and they're not straightforward fungi, are they? Tell <laughs> no, us, uh, fungi are weird.
3: Tell <laughs> us about fungi sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fungal sex is weird. So these mushrooms are—I um, say they're the fruits—but they produce spores, which have a single set of DNA in them. And these spores go out and disperse, and when they um, they can germinate and start to grow, and they grow into these things that um, have one set of DNA. And then when two of these little um, organisms meet, they're able to fuse, and they're forming some individual with two sets of DNA. So in humans, every se- every cell has one nucleus and it contains two sets of DNA, one from each parent. But in these fungi, the nuclei stay separate. So they have two sets of DNA, but they're held in different nuclei. And this um, this organism, the fungus, grows in this form with two distinct uh, nuclei in each cell until it produces the, fr- the mushrooms. And in the mushrooms, that's where the two nuclei fuse and then they are able to um, reshuffle the genes and reproduce um, in the same way that humans or other organisms do. What's really weird, really weird about fungi, is that if one one of these kind of baby fungi with one set of DNA meets one of these other ones that's got two sets but they're on different nuclei, they're able to swap the nuclei around. So even though you've kind of got one organism with its Set of DNA, it's able to move that between kind of between adults that are already formed, and so this allows um, it allows DNA to and genomes to move between organisms in ways that aren't just like the standard, the standard method of reproduction.
2: Mummy plus daddy equals children.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah but then the children can just kind of do weird stuff.
2: Yeah, and so this thing is is the crux of it, is that. In order to try and understand this in a sort of a population-wide thing, people generally use models based on genetics. And that the question for you is, do those models that are applicable to hedgehogs or seagulls or whatever, do they apply to the fungi?
3: Yeah. So we don't really know very much about what's going on in the fungi. We know that this weird mating can happen. We don't actually know if it's happening often enough to affect how the genes are moving. We don't know if, um, we know that the fungi produce massive, massive, massive numbers of spores. And um, and it's very periodic, or um, it occurs very occasionally. And so this is not really matching our typical assumptions. We don't know if these things actually matter. Maybe It may be that the fungi are really weird in a way that's intrinsic to how the genes are moving around and it's going to affect things, or it might be that they're just kind of really weird, but it doesn't actually affect any of our um, any of our assumptions or any of the um, any of the methods that we use.
2: Right. And so, what you're trying to do then is you're trying to come up with models. So this is where the math comes in yeah. to try and then take up with a model to say, mathematically, let's let's pretend that this is how this works this is how the reproduction works and we get transfer of genetic information from one to another and then you're gonna go out and try and test that model to see if it actually fits with what you see in the field as it were
3: yeah yeah so we're essentially kind of generating a hypothesis describing it with maths and then looking to see if this hypothesis is actually describing what's going on
2: right so then that means you're doing math, but you're also doing lab work or out, yeah. or, or field work. Yeah. So what does the field work look like for you?
3: Um, so I go out and pick mushrooms, and that's great fun. And then I have to de- extract the DNA from them and sequence it. And then I can look at the um, look at the genetic um, sequence and feed that into my models. And my models kind of talk about the frequency of finding certain alleles or um, the the distribution of the genes within the population. And so I'll sample a whole bunch of um, individual mushrooms, which hopefully come from a whole bunch of different individual fungi, and then we get a bit of a sample of what individuals are in this population. And from the, uh, from the gene frequencies in the population, we can hopefully draw conclusions about what, how the population's growing, how it's behaving, like what its history has been, things like that.
2: You said at the start that um, the, the organism can be very, very big. Yeah. and so you can get the the mushrooms that are coming up but they could be you could have a whole field of mushrooms potentially and they're all from the same plant quote unquote yeah um the dna will allow you to work out whether that's the case or not does it
3: yeah so if they're all from the same individual then they're all going to have the same dna sequence and so we'll see that and i'm hoping that i get a bit of diversity because it's certainly possible that everything you know in one population everything is from one individual but that just kind of tells us that uh, the scale on which we need to study these things is um, larger than what we'd looked at. You know, if everything within one little field comes from one individual, then the population is going to exist on a much larger scale than that.
2: Right. And is that a problem for for the fungi? Um, I mean, I, I suppose I'm thinking for like you know, in, in other sorts of, of of species, trying to keep the genes mixed up as much as you can is important for the long-term survival. If you have like a like a whole bit of a forest, which is really just one fungal individual, is that a concern for the viability of it, or is this one another thing we don't know?
3: Yeah, that's probably another thing we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um. And we know that the um, spores spores are capable of dispersing really, really long distances. Right. So in theory, it's able to um, have a population over a very long distance. But we also know that most of them don't. So it may be that the populations are existing on very small scales. We really don't know that yet. Okay.
2: The, the, your, the point of the whole research, I, I think you said, is to try and understand these, these fungi that are involved in these symbiotic relationships with the, the native trees. But the ones you're actually testing on, um, testing your models on, are not those ones, are they? They're these these cool red ones that you see everywhere.
3: Yeah, you'll have seen them. They're the red ones with the white spots. And they're really good because they produce lots of mushrooms. We've all seen them. And so I can actually find them. And the problem with studying fungi is that it's really hard to go and dig up the fungus in the soil and actually find it. But you can pick a mushroom. And so, studying something where I can actually find the mushrooms and pick a whole bunch of mushrooms is um, useful, and that's the kind of data that we would be able to get in real life, or that we would easily be able to get in real life.
2: Right. And you said so. You, you said that part of it is is going out into various sites around Dunedin, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. and um, picking mushrooms. Yeah. Which you can. Is that once a year, or how frequently I, you see them? When you see them, I don't suppose I know.
3: Um, we had a really short season this year. It's generally in autumn.
2: Right, okay. So it is just once a year that you get to do this collecting?
3: Yeah, basically. Right. They might start popping up again, but I wouldn't particularly be hopeful until autumn.
2: So you, you collect a whole bunch from various different places. You extract the DNA out. Yep. And that allows you to work out whether all the mushrooms that you've found in a particular place are all from the same individual or not. Mm-hmm. And then, and And if not, then get a sense of extent of difference, yeah. but you're also trying to grow them as well, I think you said.
3: Yeah, so the the mushrooms are just the fruiting parts, so that's yep. not entirely representative of the entire population that's living below the ground and so, as I said, these mushrooms are associated with tree roots so one thing I tried to do is dig up the tree roots and try and um, extract the fungus from that right. and I can't j- I can't get the kind of genetic information that I need by directly extracting the DNA from this. So I've been trying to grow out the fungus off these um, tree roots. And it turns out that everything except for the fungus that I'm looking for is happy to grow. These ones just grow slow and they do not want to come out.
2: So you're trying to grow them in the lab so that you can get to the flowering bodies? Yeah. Get to the mushrooms, in effect, because that's where the best way to get to the DNA.
3: Yeah. I mean, I don't need to go produce flowering bodies. I don't think that's going to happen in the lab. But I just need to grow it enough that I get enough tissue that I can extract the DNA from. Right.
2: And is this something that, I mean, your particular one, notwithstanding, is this something that people in the field do routinely? Um.
3: Yes and no, generally. Most of the kind of genetic um, uh, extracting DNA processes that you try to do, depending on the kind of data, you can often do that directly off the um, fungus on the root tip. Right. And it's um, some of them require more tissue than others. So it's really just trying to get around the issue of I don't have enough yeah. tissue. Yeah,
2: so captive breeding programs are not necessarily a thing for fungi. but <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't think anyone cares. Well, <laughs> I don't think any of the... Um, the groups who do that kind of thing care enough about fungi to be honest
2: (laughs) (laughs) so you're about halfway through yeah and you were saying you you're you're kind of you've got a model now yeah and so now you're doing the the field work to get the dna to test the model yeah um is the plan to test the model and if it doesn't quite work then go back and refine the model and then go round and round until you run out of time or (laughs)
3: yeah basically um and there are all sorts of kind of direct kind of refinement different refinements that could be made to the model um so yeah it's kind of a little bit of exploring and seeing what things matter and which aspects um which aspects that we might add to the model actually make it different to the traditional models that we might be using right because we're interested in knowing when it actually matters to be a fungus because there are models for doing this kind of stuff um for for seagulls or whatever Hmm. but um yeah, the question is, what's special about fungi? Right. What actually matters there? Yeah. And ha- when do we observe it?
2: And like you say, it may be that, in fact, there's nothing, and the yeah. models work fine. Yeah. But no one knows yet, so... Yeah,
3: no one knows, and that would not be great for my PhD, but it would probably be quite good for <laughs> science. it it be a result. It would be good for science, because everyone's been using the traditional models, yeah. and there hasn't been much done on fungus, but it's, you know, good to know that it works. Cool.
2: Well, we're just been out of time. Um, after the PhD, at the stage... Ah. Uh, more, more science for you,
3: or yeah, I'm really enjoying modelling and kind of getting to sit right on the on the borderline between maths and biology.
2: It's cool. quite fun. Excellent. Well, all the best for the rest of the um, the, work, the research thank and you. for the writing. <laughs> oh dear. Inevitably, the writing. <laughs> yeah. um, and thank you for coming along and, and talking to us about it.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: And thank you, everyone out there, for um, listening. I can just remind you that you can listen to this show again next week at the same time and then at your leisure as a podcast from the Otago Access Radio website, which is www.oar.org.nz. We will finish with Lydia's second piece of music, which is...
3: Creíste by Anthony Santos.
2: Okay, thanks for listening, everyone.
3: Creíste que después de ti se
4: acabaría la vida Creíste que después de ti yo me mataría Creíste ser dueña y señora de ti ¡Ay, otra! Al.com. ¿Creíste que después de Dios eras? y fuera y otra que lo que escribí
1: Science Notes, a program on Otago Access Radio brought to you by the Science News and Promotion Group at the University of Otago. Join me, Dave McMorrin, as I chat with graduate science students. We'll find out about their research, why they do science at all, and what music they enjoy. Science Notes, Thursdays from 6.30 to 7pm, only on Otago Access Radio.